Hello, and welcome back to the Vagabond Actors Podcast, where three of Europe's, let's say, premier acting coaches and teachers talk about all things acting, from the training and the craft to the business and pretty much everything in between. My name is Brian Casp, and as always, I'm joining you from Prague. And today's co-hosts, as always, are Andrea Helene, who is based in Mallorca, Spain. Hey, Andrea, how you doing? Hi, Brian. I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. And Gary Condes, who is in London, UK. Hey, Gary. Hey, Brian. Good to be here. How are you all doing? Fantastic. And today's special guest, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, joining us all the way from Adelaide, Australia, it's Ben Steele. Hey, Ben. How are you? G'day, everybody from down under. I feel like a bit of a colonial ring-in here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All these Europeans slash Americans over there. Exactly. Well, Ben is an actor. You're a documentary filmmaker. And for the past few years, you've been looking at the mental health of various performers and artists, especially in Australia. But I think what you've discovered and what you've talked to people about in Australia is applicable to performers all over the world. So we really wanted to talk to you about your career and about your journey as an actor and as an artist, but also to really dig into this issue of mental health in the artistic community, especially now because COVID has been an extra challenge on top of that. So we wanted to talk to you about that. But before we get into all of that, we want to check in with everyone and see what kind of professional experiences and successes and challenges we've been having this week. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but in this brave new world of self-tapes, particularly that has been exacerbated during the pandemic, I'm increasingly getting more and more people coming to me with a dissatisfaction of their self-tapes and how they come across they're missing something and they're, they're wanting help with that. You know, it's a kind of starts off as a kind of diagnostic and what I'm seeing, and it's a kind of trend, a lot of very general work. And you can tell that these actors are in their head so much bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. So I'm, I'm just trying to get them to connect with their inner life first. And then however subtle or contained they need to be for the scene or for the piece, it's about expressing it outwards and behaving outwards. Actors seem very afraid of that as soon as they get in front of a camera mm-hmm. and it turns them inwards. Do you think it's all- also because they don't have that kind of feedback of the other person in the room sometimes yeah. if they're doing self-tapes by themselves? It certainly can be that. It's also to do with their foundational technique and where they're at with their work and if they've been able to be expressive in a way that reads mm-hmm. on camera. But yeah, certainly when you are in the studio, it's a different thing, isn't it? And you're in class or you're, you're working and you get the other person to work off. Well, I'm just wondering, because what you're talking about as a solution is applicable generally to any kind of audition of being in front of a camera, but are they coming to you now because they're seeing it back in a way that they wouldn't have seen if they were just doing regular auditions? Because on a self-tape, you kind of have to watch yourself and go, oh, that sucked, or that (laughs) I didn't like that bit, uh, and choose the takes that you want to send. Whereas in a regular audition, you wouldn't be able to choose the takes that you want to send. So is it a product of them getting the feedback of watching themselves? Or do you think it's a product of the process of self-taping versus going into a casting room and doing an audition with a casting director or, or an assistant? Mm-hmm. No, they're not seeing themselves. They actually are coming to me because they're not getting work and they don't know why. So they don't, okay. they don't even realize on the tape is basically dead face. Aha. Uh-huh. That's a general trend. And that's to do with the means of expression that either they've been taught or they haven't got yet Mm -hmm. through lack of training. The thing I get most is I don't want to be too much. Oh, Hmm. 
Is that a British yeah. thing? Do you think are these mostly British uh, performers? Or do you think this no, is a thing? No. no, I mean something that jumps out to me there, Gary, when you were talking about the inward and outward before. I think mm-hmm. on, on, on my journey, there's a lot of inward kind of challenges going on for actors quite a lot of the time. I think perception-wise, externally, we're meant to be these, you know, incredible extroverts that, you know, have all this confidence. And that quite often is not the case. We are actually quite introverted and quite vulnerable and kind of delving into the different kind of conditions and behaviors that we're exploring through the characters that we're playing can sometimes make us get in our head quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so much of our identity is linked into the work that we're doing in a creative space, whether we are a performer or a director or whatever, our identity is linked into our work. Yeah, absolutely. But I, what I often see as well, they're full of life when I'm talking to them and before we even start to do the work and then they start to do the work and all of a sudden the light dims mm-hmm. and it's like, I've got to act now. So I've got to contain it or keep it together or all of a sudden I'm being serious because I've got to act as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, you actually more it and more alive when we were just speaking before you had to kind of switch on your actor's mode. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of that too. So maybe that is linked because that's often to do with self-perception and how you come across. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes as well, like maybe through all the different training and different techniques that we've been exploring as actors, we kind of feel or hear messages from maybe some of our coaches over the years that it's hard work and you have to put a lot of work into it and there's a lot of effort required. So that might also be linked into some of those feelings of people now they've got to turn on and they can't just simply be as you said in in the simple being and actually just being there and their uniqueness that they bring to who they are anyway is far more interesting than potentially some of the the choices or facades that they could actually put on yeah and just you know you've done your work let go let flow yeah (laughs) you know But I think there's a technical thing of like people who aren't used to working on camera, it's hard Mm -hmm. to know how much you should show, how much you should put out there because there is this thing of like, Mm -hmm. especially in a self-tape, it's like it's a close-up. And so you don't want to do more than the frame can handle. And so you tend to err on the side of doing less than doing more. There's this psychological stuff that you're talking about, Ben. And then there's also the sense of like... Like the technique kind of Yeah, the technique of Mm -hmm. being in a Mm close-up and showing what you have versus, you know, how much do you have to push it out a little bit or just kind of be free with it in the sense of letting it go and how much do you not? Mm -hmm. It's a great question to get into though. Maybe we should have you back for another episode that we have to do on close-up work and how to get the most out of it. (laughs) Long story short on that, my my advice is it's all internal. So whether you're on the stage or, you know, doing a big amphitheater or extreme close-up on camera, it's all inside you is the core, is the seed of it. That's where I always work from. Just to add to what Ben just said, I mean, you know, I think actors often forget this. We are a psychophysical instrument and there is a end result of any impulse and psychological action that we might incur inside. Now, we can contain it for character purposes, but the actor's repression is another thing. So this sort of feeds into my training. And, you know, you also, all of you, the big B word, behavior, is necessary. And it's just people's ability and perhaps practice of knowing how far one can go out and how one can express physically what's going on internally and what is appropriate for whatever is going on and what's necessary. So there's that tricky balance of mere truth and just being very truthful and feeling it but then there's the expression of that feeling which does require the engagement of one's physical attributes so that's something to consider but that is down to technique and training yeah 
It's always been such an interesting moment, I find, in the classroom when you see the work, whatever stage it's at, and then you talk about it with the actors. And in the discussion of it, you see them come to life and you know you know the exact moment when something, some key opens a door and it's in them emotionally and they're alive to it. And then it's like a gift to be able to say, right there. That thing that you are feeling right now, that's the scene. Go ahead, go back and do it. Have this conversation right now. Like it's a really lovely thing when you can see in real time, the difference between what you're describing, you know, like having that emotional truth alive in you and not, and just being sort of generally hanging around the neighborhood and hoping the camera will catch something that isn't really clearly there yet. So I had to do a self-tape this week. And because I had auditioned for a different role. The casting director sent me an email at eight in the evening and said, can you send this tonight? Mm. You know, it wasn't that much text. And she just said, can you please do it? So I didn't have time to get a partner and really do it. I just recorded the other people's lines on my phone and set up my self-tape studio and then played the recording of me saying the lines and basically had to act just looking at the lights that I had Mm -hmm. and try to create the entire scene with nothing else there. And I do think that looking back at what I was doing, a lot of the scene that I had to do was listening to other people and reacting to other people saying stuff. And it's really difficult to know because you could just sit there and listen and not really do anything. But you could also make some choices about what kind of response might I be having to what is happening in this scene. And there were certain places in the scene where, you know, one of the characters spoke and then another character said something. And I actually put in that I was about to say something and the character that said something after cut me off. And that I had a response to that, especially for self-tapes and especially now that there might not be a reader even in the room with you and you might be doing it with your own voice. It is much more difficult to know what level of external behavior is going to be uh, appropriate for the scene and also true to what you're feeling internally. That was the thing that I was going to talk about this week was going through that process of, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm doing a self-tape that I have to send off that night and just kind of not really knowing, well, how big do I make it? You know, because you could get very big because it's a comedy or you could also be in very small with the response. And I think that that's something maybe that you're seeing in your students, Gary, is that that it's hard to know. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like anything, isn't it? It's trial and error. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're not going to find out if you put restrictions on yourself and worry about the form straight off, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. One of the most consistent things I say to actors is, is you, you're consistently acting in close-up, whether it's a close-up or not. And that may well be useful. But what I mean by that is, is there is no change in frequency of your expression from piece to piece. And mm. that's possibly because they haven't pushed the boat out and they don't know where their limitations are and don't, don't know where their boundaries are. You meet people on a day-to-day basis and some are more gregarious than others and that's just who they are. And you'll get actors like that, right? And sometimes you have to calm actors down, some cut some actors <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. You're going, well, this is all performative. You're not really connected to it. And then yeah. others, it's like, okay, I, I see you in there, but let's draw you out of it. And yeah. And it's equalizing those things. Yeah. Trial and error, and, and that's why classes are great, but also you can fuck around now at home with your self-tapes and just push it, not have any limitations and just see how far the boundaries are Yeah, and play it back. And that's one way of doing it on your own is just seeing what sits. 
and then comparing, you know, watching performances and going yeah. to classes and, and all of those things. Very cool. What about you, Andrea? What have you been up to this past week? I've been working with two wonderful actresses on roles, one here on the island, a self-tape for a really terrific project out of Germany. And that was great fun. She is very, very bright as an actress. She's got great energy and intelligence. And it was really lovely to work with her and to just bring some specificity and some clarity of how we were going to stage the thing because it's a bit of an action piece. And it went really, really well. We were both very, very happy with the results and it was a great time. And the other is an actress who's currently in Toronto working on a proof of concept for a potential series. And she would be one of the leads in the series. She's also an amazing actress whom I know from our Playhouse West years. And we had a great time via, you know, video conferencing, reviewing all of the materials and what she's shooting and really digging deep. And it was very, very satisfying, I have to say. Very satisfying to just have a great script and great actresses and a willingness to dig deep and make things vibrant. So I've, I've had a great time this week, actually. That sounds great. It sounds like you're doing more of digging into that kind of coaching work. Yes. And I'm very happy about that. It makes me smile. Do you find that that's something that you can move more into? Is there a call for that in Mallorca for actors who are looking for specific coaching? Yes, I think there is. You know, there are some small, very small groups of people doing some work here. There is seasonal casting that's going on. And as I talked about before, you know, we founded this association, Balearic Actors, to give some clarity to casting directors and directors about the talent that's primarily located here on the island and a platform for those actors to get some more visibility at the same time. But also, you know, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunities that we have with technology to be working the way we are right now, you know, to be having this mm -hmm. conversation from four diverse locations and to be present with one another. So I'm, I really love that technology gives me that. My daughter is going to be starting singing again. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, you guys, I'm so excited. You know, the chorus that she sang for in the U.S. for seven years, she's mm -hmm. joining them for the end of the season starting Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going to be rehearsing simultaneously out of New York, D.C., San Francisco, and L.A., and she's going to be calling in from Spain, and they'll be singing together. And it's a beautiful thing to have that kind of access to creative energy across the miles, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether I feel that the opportunity for the self-tape here is directly on the island or not, yes. My answer is yes. I do feel that there is an opening for the work that I do, and it makes me really, really happy to have more opportunities to help people. Awesome. Yeah. And Ben Steele. Ben Steele. What, what have I been up to? Yeah. Well, I think foremost, what I've been trying to work on as much as I can lately, and I, I'm happy to say that this week I was quite successful in, in doing so, was getting down to the beach three mm -hmm. to four times this week and taking my dog and getting in the ocean and just really kind of absorbing the peaceful, calm energy that the ocean brings me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, walking my dog several times a week as well, just around the neighborhood here in Adelaide and and getting to know different necks of the woods and little parks and things like that has been really good. And I, I also wanted to really try to reach out more to some of my friends that I haven't been making as much time as I want to. So yeah, mm -hmm. connecting with people on the phone a little bit because I, I don't have too many friends here in Adelaide. So connecting with my friends back in Sydney and in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're probably the, the more personal growth and good for my soul things that I've been doing this week. Right. 
And other than that, I guess, yeah, uh, delivering, I delivered three uh, mental health first aid courses this week, which is a new skill that I've got up my sleeve to kind of teach other people how to look after, like basically be first responders in mental health crisis situations. Great. That's fantastic. So that's been really good. And yeah, pretty productive week in uh, proposal writing and you know, getting more funds so I can continue to do the well-being work that I want to do for the entertainment industry. So kind of getting the balance a bit better now. You know, this documentary that you've produced and you wrote it and directed it, it's called The Show Must Go On and it's had its premiere and it's out and available in Australia. And if people want to watch the documentary, you can, what's the website they can go to? Theshowmustgoon.com.au and in the watch section there, there's kind of uh, international folks. Uh, you can you can buy it on Vimeo on demand at the moment. Right, so people can look at the documentary on the website. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Hey guys, this is Brian talking to you after the fact, and I just wanted to let you know that in this episode we are talking about mental health and depression and Ben talks about his suicidal thoughts that he had. So we just wanted to let you know that if anything is coming up for you in the discussion that you feel you might want to talk to someone about, that it's okay, that you're not alone, and that you can reach out to your friends and family. We will have links to various helplines and crisis lines in our show notes in various areas. Look up ones that are in your area if you need to. And if none of that works, you can reach out to us and we would be happy to talk with you and to um, just listen actually to what you have to say. We feel like this episode is really important and Ben has a lot of great stuff to say. It is not a depressing episode. It's, It's hopeful, but it might bring up some issues for certain people. So if you find that it is bringing up issues for you, we really, really urge you to reach out to someone and to not just suffer in silence. So you and I met, oh my gosh, I don't even remember how long ago it was, 2008, something like that? Yeah, 2008, yeah. And I had been struggling to get my Meisner classes together and to have some consistency and to have some solidity in the classes. And you contacted me on email because you had just moved to Prague and you were like, hey, I want to do this too. And we met and it was 
kind of like walking into an oasis for me <laughs> after having pushed for so long, because it's quite a different <laughs> paradigm, the Meisner psychological level acting, working on things. And, and I was kind of pushing a boulder up a hill, it felt like. Mm -hmm. And it was so great to have you as a partner and as a friend in that endeavor in Prague. Likewise, buddy. Yeah, it was. it's really great. I mean, it's like we kind of just decided this is these classes are going to happen. And if nobody comes, then you and I will rehearse. And if we have mm -hmm. students, then we'll have the students and we'll help them along the journey. And, and we built the mountain and they came, right? Exactly. And and it's been going now since then, really. I mean, I have classes, they're online now. And I put it all down to the connection that you and I had at that time. And it seems like your journey from being an actor, being on the path, looking for your own career and taking the challenges that you faced, not only through the acting, but just, you know, how life throws you different challenges. And you've really taken it and like you've helped me and were a rock that I could stand on, you are now turning that way more broadly in terms of just general mental health of people in the creative industry. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that journey? I mean, it's in the documentary. You made it personal within the documentary about your journey as someone who was famous and then what happened along the road. But can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like with, with any kind of artist and, and I'm sure with Gary and Andrea as well, we put ourselves into what we're doing. So, you know, back in those Prague days, that's where I learned how to become a director was through teaching other actors the Meisner technique. Before that, when I was directing things back home in Oz, ironically, for being an actor for like 20 odd years at that point, I didn't have the actor's language. <laughs> I couldn't communicate to actors in their language. I could communicate to them in a very kind of result-based way as a director, possibly because that was maybe my experience of other directors as well. So basically through teaching the technique to other actors, I actually learned how to work with actors as a director. So I think we put ourselves into our work in whatever we're doing. As an actor, we're taking our experiences and, and delving in them and bringing up stuff within ourselves and our experiences and looking for them in the characters that we're playing so we can identify with the characters. So we're very much putting ourselves in our work. And that was the same when making The Show Must Go On, which is my first documentary. I hadn't made a documentary before, so I just turned to what I knew, which was put myself into it. Mm -hmm. um, and the subject really kind of just found me. So I started out just backing up a little bit. I, I started out as an actor as I was a kid and was always pursuing that as my career from a very young age as a kid. That was what I felt like I was meant to be doing. And with everything in my body, I pursued that. You know, so many classes outside of school several times a week and eventually started getting professional work and little gigs here and there, but never really got any kind of big opportunity until I landed a regular role in Home and Away, which is a, an Australian soap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did that for two and a half years. And then they wrote my character out and I was gutted up by that. I didn't really know how to deal with having all this fame and, and doing this job that I loved and wanted to continue doing. And it was suddenly taken away from me. So I was holding on to it with all that I could. And I went to the UK after that because the show was very popular in the UK and was trying to ride the wave and kind of bash it as much as I could and trying to create opportunities and went to the States and trying to do the same and leveraging the fame that I had and the people that I knew to kind of 
on this hamster wheel of trying to not let it go and not let it go and, and, and continuing to do that and all the while not feeling good and feeling like a failure. And that brought me to my time in Prague where I met you and the American runaway production market in Prague was great and had some opportunities there, but they were supporting small roles and a couple of lines of dialogue or a couple of scenes of movies, so still not what I wanted and I still wasn't feeling good about myself. And then I came back to Australia and I'd been away for so long. I'd been away for nine years at this point. And it all kind of just caught up with me. And I got to a really dark place where um, not being able to deal with how I was feeling in this constant sense of being a failure and feeling worthless, I was suicidal. And at that point, I started talking to other people in the industry and noticing in them that they weren't happy and they were struggling as well. And I just picked up my camera and I just started filming interviews with people. And that's how the show must go and was born. Yeah, it's a really powerful documentary, I think. And I think it's, I mean, I would highly recommend it to all of our listeners and to, any, and to anyone who's working in a creative field or even a freelance field. Even if you feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not in a bad space. It's, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like you really watch people doing all kinds of different work in the creative industry, talking about the different pressures that they were under. And I think it's a really great documentary. You know, I was Thanks, watching man. it again this morning and, mm -hmm. and I was feeling so proud of you, but pride is oh. a weird word because I don't have anything to do with it. I think it's more feeling so good for you to have created such a wonderful, helpful and truncheant piece of work. Mm -hmm. And that really is personal and also universal. It's really great to watch it. I was just feeling so happy. It's a weird word to say that we're talking about, you know, you feeling suicidal. Well, but like, no, that's, that's, that's kind of the point so of the film, man. You, it it doesn't know? hold back punches. Like we go to places that you may not have seen fellow artists and, and other people in the same industry go, cast and crew alike. But the ultimate kind of message is in the film is that it's a, it's a message of hope. You know, these people have come through the other end. They face some of these things. They've learned some skills and some of them have some really great ways of looking at the industry and how to cope with the challenges of the industry so it's yeah so for me it is like happiness is great if, if that's what you get from the film because ultimately that is it is a message of hope the film i really want to commend you for creating this documentary i, I found it so beautiful i have a number of questions for you about the actual filmmaking process which i want to get to but really first i'd love to talk with you a little bit about the interviews and the content and, and the ideas that you explore because they're so potent, you know, about, I don't know, maybe midway, you probably know exactly what minute it is, but about midway through you share with the audience statistics on mental health conditions within the entertainment industry in Australia. And they're staggering. They're really staggering. And the reactions then that you get from several of the people whom you've been interviewing None of them are surprised. In fact, I think one says that I am surprised it's not even higher. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, were you yourself surprised by the numbers? And what was the experience of sharing that kind of information? Does it deepen your commitment? Does it make you feel more connected to your creative community because you understand you're not the only one that's gone through this? Like, what is your, what is your unique perspective on that scenario? Yeah, 100%. Like... 
So the first time I heard those stats, and the stats you're referring to are from Entertainment Assist, which is a charity in Australia that did world-first research into the mental health and well-being impacts of workers in the Australian entertainment industry. There'd been many research projects prior to that point about the benefits of doing creative activities to help people deal with certain mental conditions, but nothing on the actual people that make the entertainment and the the challenges they may face. So the stats that we revealed there were Australian statistics, which can be echoed around the world. There hasn't been such a comprehensive study around the world, but there have been individual studies about performers or the music industry, et cetera. But the stats are that anxiety symptoms are 10 times higher than general population. Depression symptoms are five times higher, and there's five suicide attempts every week in Australia, which is double the Australian average. So they're the stats we're talking about, and these are mm-hmm. these are our friends and our colleagues and our family members and our peers and sometimes even us. So mm-hmm. they're real people behind these stats. So I just wanted to validate um, your question with the actual stats there, Andrea. Yes, absolutely. It's really important for our audience to hear. I was very surprised and alarmed when I heard those stats because I was like, oh my God, so many people are struggling. But then it did make me feel a little bit more connected, like I'm not a freak, I'm not weird. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly the case when I started interviewing people and talking to people and hearing their stories and hearing how they were struggling and and sharing that common thing because nobody talks about this mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry. We keep it quiet. We're scared of it maybe impacting our next work opportunity or people will treat us differently mm-hmm. or we're, we're just fine. No, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to make it worse or whatever. So there's lots of reasons. There's lots of barriers why people don't speak up, particularly in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So it, it did make me feel better, but it also gave me much more resolve to continue going because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to finish the film and share the information and share the stories and and share the messages of hope and that people aren't alone to help the situation. So it drove me. It drove me further. It did. Yeah, definitely drove me further. I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things I really love about your artistic style in the filmmaking is there's a quietness to it and an honesty that comes through without force, if that makes sense. Because it's clear that you've established a very trusting, intimate relationship or set up for the interviews to happen, for people to be so truthful with you. You are willing to wait. You're willing to wait while they explore an idea or a memory or to come to a revelation about something. And it's a really beautiful space to watch this from our perspective, to let them arrive so organically at their own conclusions and admissions. And so often they then very easily describe their toughest moments, really their lowest moments. And I was keen to see how many times they then spoke about that little voice that said, I need help to somebody. I need some help. It's very, very powerful the way you've constructed it and allowed those moments to be so human and real. Yeah, thank you. It's beautiful to see that they're here because of some connection. There's some connection somewhere and some act of faith that they took in these in these moments of despair and you yourself to say, I'm going to reach for someone to give me a hand or even a pinky. I've got to start somewhere. Some of those moments and allowing people to speak 
They were inspired by some of the dramas where I've seen that happen myself and some moments where I just like where the director just sits there and just lets things unfold. Mm -hmm. So consciously while filming, I wasn't aware of that, but certainly in the edits, I was very aware of the process that the people that I was interviewing were going through when Mm -hmm. they were retelling me their story. Like we might've been starting in one area and then it took them somewhere and then they ended maybe somewhere uplifting. So mm-hmm. when I was reviewing the footage later and putting it all together, things just started jumping out at me filmically that I remember feeling inspired when I'd seen that in other films. And I was very conscious and I, I wasn't scared at all about holding on shots and letting them just sit there. I felt like filmically we'd earned the right to sit and listen to these people's story because of the way that we, my editors, Lucy and Cindy was our original editor, the way that we kind of structured it, we kind of gave them a bit of backstory, we introduced them and that had a certain flow and a certain pace to it, which all that mileage was getting us to this point where we could actually then sit and -hmm. just listen and let them reveal what they wanted to reveal. So I was very conscious at that point in the edit that that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. The filming of it, I didn't have that awareness that that would be the way that it would be eventually used. But I think what worked in the filming of the interviews is that most of the interviews, there were some that were a little bit different, but most of the interviews, it was just me. (laughs) (laughs) It was me with three or four cameras that I'd set up myself and I just plotted around at the location just, you know, for an hour, just tweaking the lights that I brought and set up and tweaking the sound and kind of really, I guess, in a way, a little bit meditative, really, just kind Mm of getting myself in this environment and in this space. So I think the space that they entered into was full of that kind of calm and open yet supportive kind of energy. Mm -hmm. I was very conscious with pre-interviewing some of the people that I was able to and certainly the ones that I didn't through the email communication I had really just establishing the safe, supportive space. Mm-hmm. I wasn't after any kind of gotcha moments. It wasn't like a tabloid, you know, entertainment mm-hmm. type piece. It was very personal. It was very honest and candid. And they were free and in control to share whatever they wanted to share with me. I'd be fine to just listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually something else that you bring into the room, Ben, because mm-hmm. of the Meisner training that you have. Yeah. It's all about listening and it's all about being present with them and not really thinking about, well, where do I need to take this? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. But just being with them. Yeah, so I was just being there and supporting them. You know, I did my research and had certain things that I felt this person may have to offer or knowing a little bit about their story or their work history and just reading or if I did have a pre-interview, I kind of knew a little bit more about their story. But it was very much about a new experience and seeing what would transpire and unfold. And I think possibly the other thing as well is because I was still, uh, depending on when I interviewed them, I was still struggling and recovering myself. Mm. So I had skin in the game. I really genuinely wanted to understand what they had gone through and what helped them and what they needed. Mm-hmm. I was genuinely interested in that. I wasn't just making a film for profit and gain. It was very much, I was genuinely interested in them. And I think that also came across and mm-hmm. made them be more open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben, I echo these guys. It was a very touching piece of work. And I was watching it this morning over breakfast. And Hope it didn't put you off your wheat bix <laughs> It didn't put me off my wheat bix but it's been the most... 
it's been the most contemplative Weetabix I've had for a long time. Um, <laughs> well, your um, bowels will appreciate it later, trust me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. They're, they're <laughs> I look forward to that moment. It's not a repercussion I expected when I was uh, looking at <laughs> It wasn't on a DVD box, was it? No. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> this movie I, I is gentle on your bowels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a holistic remedy. The documentary it covers all bases. But um, it was very touching and it did impact on me to really think about and be reminded of the kind of bigger picture in life, being a human and doing your passion. That doesn't happen in a negative way. But one thing I'd like to ask you is maybe for listeners who can relate or maybe, you know, uh, as a warning, you know, what causes depression? I mean, what went through your mind exactly when you were written out of the series that that started spiraling when we were talking at the beginning of the show about being internal and things started to sort of worsen? in your mental health so that listeners might either identify or be aware of or flag up or of the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a few things, you know, going on for me and, and hard to kind of unpack everything in such a short amount of time, but I'll do my best. But the initial response, I was in denial. I did not actually even tell any of the other castmates that I had the discussion with the producer and I'm on my way out. My love interest in the show was also on the way out. And at a certain point, people started asking me, oh, so what's going on? Are you just like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, I'm still here. (laughs) So I was in complete denial. And I think that was my way of coping, (laughs) to be honest, because I was so caught up in that world at that point. So unpacking further and the work that I had to do kind of after, I really did not realize. I mean, I was always passionate and always felt like I had purpose because I knew what I wanted to do from a young age. I used to think that was actually an asset that I knew what I wanted to do. And I think it can be, but I let it go way too far that my whole identity was wrapped up in being an actor and pursuing that. And I think that's the dangerous slope. Like you said, leading into your question about having a life outside of your work, I didn't. Everything was related to work. You know, even the friendship with Brian in Prague and us catching up, as lovely as that friendship was, that was still about work. And I'm not saying that in any way to kind of belittle my relationship with Brian, like I love him, love him dearly. But as far as I was still on, I was still switched on. It was about work. It was about what we were doing together. It was what we were building. It was like how we can leverage this with some of the other, you know, the producers in town or the casting directors. It was all about work. So I found it very difficult to switch off. I didn't have any downtime. I woke up and I was kind of thinking about, okay, what am I doing today for work? What am I doing for my career? What short film can I make? What can I write? And I think that's the danger. And I think that's the danger for us as acting coaches and for the acting schools that are putting so much more pressure and more and more pressure on their students to be doing everything and be thinking about marketing and making all these short films and doing all these self-tapes and doing extra stuff and get some new headshots and just all that stuff that they're not actually living a life, you know, living your life mm-hmm. and getting to just roll around in it and get dirty and have experiences and fall in love and meet a thousand people and go different places, all that. That's that's what we're drawing on to be actors. We right. need that. So <laughs> if we're taking that out, you know, we need to put it in a balance. And I'm not saying get rid of your purpose or get rid of your passion, but uh, for me it was very much the balance was not right. You know, it was 100% of the scale was towards work and nothing was to do with life, even to the degree of friendships or my friendships back home. Like I just wasn't keeping up with people, you know, my family. The one thing that I knew in my 20s in Australia that 
calmed me was surfing and I stopped surfing. Partly because I moved to Europe and I wasn't by the beach, but you saying the surfing in Prague is not very good. <laughs> yeah, not so much. I don't know if you've got an urban surf center there now, no. but yeah, no, we don't. Kelly Slater hasn't been over there and build one, no. Okay. No, um, but yeah, so so just the balance. So that for me, unpacking my identity, it's not who I am anymore. And Sam Neil in the doco, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was a key moment for me, hearing it mm-hmm. from such a master how he manages that part of his identity. It's what he does. It's not who he is. It's just what he does. It's not the whole Sam Neill. And that for me was a key moment in my recovery and a key moment in the film. What I love about my other life, it's completely rural. I'm surrounded by green things that smell and animals that that I have friendships with and and entirely different sort of people working around me. That's a whole other life. If you think of yourself as an actor or a dancer, or a singer, and you're not singing, and you're not acting, or you're not dancing, what are you? Most people are between jobs. What are you between jobs? And if you think of yourself as an actor and you're not actually acting, you're kind of no one. This is how it's possible to see yourself, and the way out of that is to actually separate yourself from your profession. That's what I do, that's not what I am. I do acting, but I'm not an actor. I don't think of myself as an actor, actually. Yeah, that was a great moment. And I think we forget that we can do both. They're not mutually exclusive, your career and your life. (laughs) Yes, your career and your passion does take up time and it should, but like you say, balance. And we're in such a cutthroat and competitive industry that it encourages performers to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And we forget if you turn off, you can power up as well. Time off allows you to power up and be able to sort of recharge and be a human in the world and get back to the work. I think actors forget that because it's so competitive and cutthroat. And once you're on the treadmill, you're on the treadmill and it narrows one's engagement of one's soul in one's life. Yeah. And actors out there might be thinking, and I was one of these people with certain bits of advice you'd get over the years about, you know, maybe not putting all your eggs in one basket or whatever, that we go into this, if we're stepping our foot into this crazy career, being a performer, being an actor or being a cinematographer, whatever it is, when we're putting our foot in there, we're kind of putting our hand up. And we kind of go in there and we go, no, I've got to do this. And there's an aspect that we're going, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to break down. I'm not going to have a depression. I'm going to be the one that's not. Chances are, if your identity is so linked up in your work, you will break down. Mm-hmm. The statistics are against you. Mm-hmm. So you, somebody might out there be listening going, oh, I'm going to be the one. No, it's not going to happen to me. If you identify that this is maybe the way that you operate, mm-hmm. I would really recommend that you kind of just take pause and hear the words that there is more to life than just this. Mm-hmm. Because if your whole life, your whole purpose, your whole value your whole opinion of yourself is linked into one aspect and that's not going well for you. And it might be going okay now, but it's not going to go well forever. Again, the stats are against you. People's careers go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. They maybe slowly build, they go down. Like it's up and down. So if your whole value of yourself is linked into the amount of work you're getting, the quality of work that you're getting and you're not getting it, you're going to beat yourself up. You're going to feel like you're a failure. It's not my opinion, it's the science. That's what happens. You need to have other things going on in your life. You need to have the balance. You're not just your work. There's another aspect to that too, which is definitely clear watching the documentary, which is that as someone who's on the way up in their career or feeling like they're at the start and they're kind of working towards some goal that they've decided is 
success in the industry. And, and I think the the radio... Yeah, Higo, Dave Higo Higgins. Also, Michaela had that as well, another yes, actress. Yeah. yeah. Where they say, you know, you're working towards something and then if you get there, you realize, well, what do I do now? <laughs> and the only way to go from that kind of success is to not have it anymore because things change all the yeah, time. Yeah, to go down. Once you're at the peak of your fame, there's only one yeah. way to go. Generally, it's kind of down. Yeah. So there can be pressures when you get what you want. So therefore, if you're not mm -hmm. happy in yourself, you don't have other interests, you don't have other things that you want to do and other values in your life, you get what you want and you still won't be happy. That's right. Because if you think about your career, like for me, I'm trying to get bigger and bigger parts in productions that are shooting in Europe. Let's say that's my goal of where I want to get to, right? So I want to, I want to work as a lead in a film or a TV show that's shooting somewhere in Europe. It could be in America too, but whatever. Right. But then when you think about what that actually means in terms of your life, and I've known actors who are like this, that life is very strange because I think, well, wait a minute, that means that you're three months away from your home or you're three months away from your family. Or I've even worked with actors who say, I'm nine months away from my home and my family. Mm -hmm. And then you start to think, well, what is that life? That's not life. What are we doing this for? You know, so I think that that point of looking at, well, what does success mean to you? And do you really want that? And how do you mitigate that? And how do you kind of temper it with actually living a life that you want to live mm -hmm. is very important because most likely once you achieve that success, if you're lucky enough to achieve it, quote unquote lucky, you might actually find that it's kind of empty of what you thought it was going to bring you. Yeah, 100%. And that definitely would lead to some kind of mental struggle or depression. Yeah. And once you're at that certain level as well, there's all the other stuff that kind of comes into play, you know, like if you are number one on the call sheet on a series towards the end of the shooting, the series, and once it's getting released, the pressure, are we going to get picked up? And that's on me. Mm -hmm. All these mm -hmm. people are depending on jobs. We're not going to get picked up. So there's other kind of pressures you get when you are number one on the call sheet, when you do reach the top top of your game you know there's all that kind of network and studio kind of networking you have to do and kissing ass and all that other stuff and there's other things that come into play there's other pressures that come into play other challenges for sure uh, lots of people around you that want a piece of you and their income is dependent on you so can I really trust these people are they telling me just what they want me to do rather than actually what's good for my career there's a lot of other stuff that goes into play once you get up the top mm -hmm. sorry we don't want to dissuade people from this career and I'm sorry if my uh <laughs> delivery is a little bit kind of no 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 i'm just really no. passionate about this and the listeners may not hear the passion they might just hear this you know guy just like yelling down the line uh so i apologize if that comes across no you're all right ben i think i think the thing to take from it is like and the whole point of making the film like this i mean well your point was also kind of helping yourself through it but i think the point of promoting it and doing the mental health work that you're doing on the side of that is to make people aware of it because if you're aware that that's a slippery slope that you might go down, mm -hmm. then it's going to be much easier to guard against going down that path. And it's not to say that working as an actor or working as an artist is not a wonderful thing. You know, the reason people do it is because it's so wonderful when it's working. It's just that the other aspects of it are very challenging. Not only the self-worth aspect, if you get fired from a show or you feel like you have a responsibility to your cast and crew, if you're number one, and then it doesn't get picked up and that's your fault and you screwed it up. 
or if that's a financial responsibility where you feel like if I don't bring in any money this month, even though I'm freelance, then I'm a failure. You know, there's all kinds of Mm -hmm. extra pressure and it's just about being aware of them, which I think is the wonderful part of the documentary. And another thing that uh, just for the performers out there might find interesting that I discovered through making the film, which I wasn't aware of, There's a thing called vicarious trauma, which, you know, war journalists kind of get when they're in a war zone and they're taking photos of gruesome things or or whatever. But actors can actually get vicarious trauma as well through the research that we're doing about rape victims or domestic violence or we're playing a soldier in war and all that kind of stuff. There's a thing that you can actually get, which is which is basically getting traumatized vicariously. So like the vicarious bit means that it didn't actually happen to you, but you're getting traumatized anyway. Anyway, and that's a thing to just be mindful of when you're prepping on heavy material, whether it's for an audition or whether it's for a gig that, you know, you're going down that rabbit hole of research is to balance that out again with some things that can kind of take you away from that, having maybe some safeguards in place. So if you are indeed playing that character, a good time to go into that world could be when you're costuming yourself. And then when you're taking your costume off at the end, mindfully drawing your attention to, I'm taking this costume off and I'm leaving this world and this trauma and everything that's been happening to me doing this role at the theater or in the wardrobe trailer. I'm leaving that all here. And then just be mindful of how you're feeling after that process or during that process. And if you need a break, ask the stage manager, okay, need I need a bit of break if you're in rehearsal. If you're on set, look, can I just have five? I'm just feeling a bit sensitive and vulnerable at the moment. I'll be fine, but I just need a bit of space. You know, I need to do some breathing by myself. Or I need to do some push-ups or just go for a bit of a run. I need to do something as Ben just for a second, and then I'll kind of come back to this world. Be mindful while you're doing it. And then after you've left it behind at work, be mindful of how you're feeling. Maybe do something special for yourself. Draw a bath if you love baths, but you never have time to do it. Pamper yourself, get your nails done, get your hair done, like whatever. Do something for you that you don't normally do as a little bit of a, oh, okay, yeah, this is me and this is what I like to do to kind of ground yourself back in your world. Mm. So that's another thing that I learnt through making the show must go on, vicarious trauma. It's a real thing and it can creep up on you. What has the reaction to the film been? Has it, (laughs) talking about like always pushing forward and stuff like that, so I don't know, maybe this is a loaded question, but have you felt like this is going to lead to more work for you as a director? You're moving into the mental health area and kind of doing workshops and maybe helping out performers, so that's an area that you're growing in, but have you done this and kind of thought, well, I want to direct more or I want to make other documentaries, or what what has kind of been the outcome of doing the film as, as it's kind of been released and people are responding to it? As far as like ratings, we came second on the night that we broadcast on ABC in Australia. Mm -hmm. So as far as that kind of result and the impact, like that blew me away, Mm -hmm. the network was, yeah, really happy with the result. And we had quite a lot of people like stream it later as well. Mm-hmm. So they're very happy there. They're also really happy with the engagement with some of the clips that we shared on social media, which the last time I checked were about half a million on some of them. Mm-hmm. So as far as the engagement at really kind of connecting to people and some of those grabs of the beautiful cast, like, you know, Sam and Dean and Michaela and Jocelyn, mm-hmm. they really connected with people and the creative world. So on that kind of level, as far as the impact, I was like beyond 
happy and just I couldn't believe what us as a team had created and that we had that amount of positive impact. Mm-hmm. In my mind, when I was making it, I kind of felt to a certain degree it was maybe my swan song. It was my goodbye from the industry to oh a certain my. degree. Okay. It was like, okay, I'm released and it's, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so there was times, and that wasn't coming out of a frustration point. It was actually coming from quite a peaceful, calm pace. Moving place. on, like, time to move on. I've learned so much and I've grown. So I wasn't really looking for any kind of career opportunities or suddenly, you know, somebody to call me up and offer me to direct X, Y, and Z. It wasn't really that. What mm-hmm. I will say on the project passion path This project, it taught me many things, but one of the things it taught me, because I had made other things in the past, other shows, not documentaries, but other like uh, dramas and shorts and and whatnot um, as a director. None of them had the level of passion and mission within me as the show must go on did. Mm -hmm. And it took me four years to kind of make to the point that it got released, uh, three and a half years, almost four. So I learnt within my soul the depths of where I need to go if I want to do something like this again. So if I'm going to make another film, if I'm going to invest myself, my soul into a project in the future, whether it's a piece of theatre or or making a film, I've got to feel that passion. And there's a couple of things brewing that are starting to kind of get there for me. They're firing me up enough to sustain me for that length of time in order to make them. And they're they're documentaries. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'd say as far as I guess is this going to lead to anything else. But for me at the moment, and I don't know how long I will continue because maybe being much more in tune with myself now, it may have a, a shelf life as far as, no, I think I've given enough. I think I've contributed enough mm-hmm. or I need to step away. I don't have the passion anymore or this isn't good for me anymore mentally or, or something like that. So I'm much more aware of that and need mm-hmm. to make time. Obviously, working in this space now, I need to make time off for myself because it's quite easy to take on a lot. It's quite easy to take on a lot of people's pain and take on a lot of people's troubles and struggles. So I have things in place to make sure that that doesn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may get too much at some point, so I may have to stop. Yeah. Uh, but for now, like I've definitely got some uh, big work to do. I'm very much focused on improving the screen sector in Australia at the moment because ironically, it being my part of the industry, there's a part of the entertainment industry that doesn't have any support or infrastructure, nowhere near the level that it does in the music sector and in the live performance sector in Australia. The screen industry actually has nothing in place other than me. So I'm setting up as best I can some infrastructure for mental health and well-being for the screen sector in Australia at the moment. So hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll get some good announcements through and I'll be able to start firing away a little bit more on that and be launching uh, in a couple of months. Cool. But yeah, so that's my main focus. And next year, I'm kind of planning on focusing more on the tertiary institutions and high schools mm-hmm. down the you know, mental health and well-being space as well that's with, great. With, uh, with the creative kind of students. Yeah. So that's the plan for next year. That's great. When you're talking about the actual like moment of creation of the art, whether it's doing the dance or singing the song or 
being in the music studio as a producer and making those decisions and hearing it and acting and being in the moment. Like, did you feel that the people you interviewed had a particular take on, given what they've been through, how they now feel about those moments that so attract us to the work in the first place, like those moments of creation and beauty? Do you feel that having a struggle with the mental health condition, does it tamper your enjoyment of the thing that you feel so driven to create or coming through it? Do you feel a new appreciation for the undertaking of the work? Actually, there was one interview with Dean Ray Mm -hmm. and it didn't make it in the film. And he talked about one of the barriers for him kind of seeking help with his music and his singing and his songwriting. One of the reasons he didn't want to seek help was the fear that it would actually diminish his, his art. He wouldn't be able to go as deep with his art because he would heal himself and get better. There's this thing that within the pain of creation is where the art, so art is have to be in pain in order to create good art. The research says that that's actually false. That Mm. myth is actually a false belief. And through Dean's interview, he actually revealed that himself. So with his depression, one of the barriers for seeking help was that he thought it's going to stop me from being creative. And the opposite Mm -hmm. was true. It Mm -hmm. actually gave him so many more textures and colors and emotions to work Mm. with because he actually really dealt with his depression. And in his case, it was medication that helped him on his path. But medication isn't necessarily the answer for everyone. But in his case, it certainly was the thing that really kind of helped him. And he even said like just the textures, the color, the vibrancy of his world increased and that gave him more stimulation to work from. So that's probably what I'd say to that, that it's not true that you have to struggle for your art. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a struggling artist in a garret in the dark, you know, Mm -hmm. drinking wine and nothing else and just feeling all this pain. (laughs) You don't. (laughs) You don't. There's other ways. Right. You can do that, but, you know, chances are it's not going to last a long time or it's going to become so overwhelming for you. There's other ways to to manage our ups and downs that are are even more fruitful. I think also that perspective was reflected in the musical theatre teacher's interview, you know, where she Mm -hmm. really questioned this idea of struggle and pain and the negative reinforcement that's used too often in the artistic community in judgment of what somebody's talent or potential or creative pieces and that she really committed herself to teaching because she wanted to develop a holistic approach to giving a loving support to the students and helping them grow with with sunshine yeah and i think that's a common experience in australia in a lot of our performance institutions the old school way of training actors was very much to break them down Mm. you know to unpeel the onion and break them down and you know the learning environment was not very healthy Mm -hmm. I'm thankful to say that that's changing in Australia. That's no longer the the mainstream kind of way of doing things. It is actually a much more supportive and healthier environment. That's good news. This might sound like an obvious question, but for people out there, maybe even parents, how can you actually tell in your experience if someone has a mental health problem? I know there are some of the cliches that we could come out with, but it's often difficult because people often put on a brave face and the more they are suffering, the more they put on a brave face, particularly with performers who are used to performing and maybe putting up masks a lot of the time. Yeah, and that is a really, really good question. And the simple, I can actually give quite a simple answer on this one is if you have an instinct that something's going on that you're concerned about, ask. It's really simple. 
just ask. Tell them what you've noticed about their behavior. You normally turn up to everything on time and now, like I've noticed that you're turning up late quite a lot. Is everything okay? Is something going on? And for the example that you gave where they have the mask on and, and there maybe is not such a clear sign, I would go to your instinct. And for the people that are listening to this, maybe mostly actors, you know, we're honing our instincts. So if you have an instinct in your belly <laughs> that somebody's not trekking okay and they're presenting, you know, the mask of happiness and fine, sometimes the most happy bubbleless people they're putting it on. So you might want to not reflect that concern back to them that you're always bubbly and happy, but you might just say, hey, just wanted to check in with you to see if everything's okay. You know, so that's what we can do human to human is the behavior that we notice that we're concerned about or the instinct in our gut that we're having that somebody's maybe not trekking so well. Just ask, just ask them. That's the first step. If they then open up to you, just let them talk. It's their moment. This may be the first time that they've spoken to anybody about this. So just let them talk, be there for them, support them, use, you know, non-verbal or slight verbal cues to kind of keep them talking, repeat back to them what you're hearing to make sure you're getting it right. You know, confirm to them that must be really frustrating. That must be really upsetting. I can understand how that will make you feel that way using supportive statements like that and keep them talking. If you felt it appropriate and if you felt like you had the support and the resources to offer them, you may want to direct them to some support services that you're aware of in the country or city that you're in. In Australia, the first port of call would be, well, maybe it's worth speaking to your GP about this. So your doctor about this, maybe they might be able to offer you some suggestions. We also have 24-hour support helplines over here. So you may have those support services as well. Do you think it might be a good idea to maybe reach out to a helpline and maybe talk this through with somebody else? Because they're more experienced at this than I am. Maybe they can offer some suggestions of, of how you can help. So they're the kind of things and the kind of messaging in a supportive, empathetic way. But the most important thing is noticing it and then asking. That's the most important steps. And then get them talking. Yeah, I think checking in and mirroring back is very important, isn't it? Because the impression I get from the documentary, but also from my experience with, with people in my own life is they're so consumed by it that they're not even aware. Mm -hmm. And so the, the ability to do that is like they need someone else's awareness to just go, hey, how you doing over there? Yeah, 100%. So ironically for myself, even though I was at you know the depths of depression, I didn't think that I was that bad. I didn't think I needed the help. You are so right. Quite often when people are struggling and going through things, they're not aware. So having somebody in a beautifully supportive and caring way, letting them know that they're concerned and they've noticed X, Y, and Z, and are you okay? Can I help? Is there anything I can do to help? That may be the thing that makes them aware of how bad they are or how much they're struggling. So you're completely right. And that's evidence, evidence suggests that as well. It's in the research. <laughs> That's one of the reasons people don't seek help is they're not aware. I think the other thing around this as well, just on the maybe the behaviors that we wouldn't traditionally think that maybe something is going on, but just odd behavior or aggressive behavior or diva behavior, which, you know, some of those things can be quite common in the entertainment industry. Our first reaction as a human might be to go, oh, shit, what's wrong with them? God, they're a diva. Oh, bloody hell, I don't want to have to deal with that person. Rather than from more a compassionate, empathetic point of view might be, oh, maybe something's going on for that person. Maybe I should check in to see if they're okay. 
It's about maybe just thinking about these things in a slightly different way, having a bit of a mind shift from a more empathetic, compassionate point of view. Ben, I'm really so happy to have this conversation with you. And again, just congratulations on this project. I have, there's one scene I'd like to ask you about, and that is the scene with your conversation with your parents and their reactions to your sharing the project and your own history and the vulnerability of your own state at that time. And I'm wondering if you can share with us how your father's reaction was to that conversation. Yeah, that scene is a scene uh, that many people have strong reactions to. I think they can see themselves, maybe their parents or just another loved one. But that, that is a scene that comes up over and over again for people. Yeah, so my dad's reaction, quite typically male, he didn't really kind of say too much. My mum was doing, you know, quite a lot of the talking and was doing her best to kind of offer her support. And I think that's the thing with our parents and sometimes creative people maybe don't feel supported by their parents or from their family. They, they don't necessarily feel that they fit in and they don't get us and they they say things like, you know, go get a real job or if this job isn't bringing you happiness, if this acting thing isn't working for you, why don't you, why don't you, you know, try something else without really knowing that that's what we feel like is our purpose mm-hmm. and that's what we're meant to be doing. So my parents, and I think many parents, I would just say they're often just doing their best because they don't understand us. Mm-hmm. They're just coping the best they know how with these <laughs> weird and wonderful creative kids <laughs> to kind of guide them and show them the best way and trying to do their best to keep their own fear at bay with what our future may hold because Mm -hmm. they know the facts around the low income and all the pressures and all the stress that goes with pursuing these kind of careers. So they're just doing their best, as I'd kind of say, about the parents. Specifically to my dad, like he's quite a thinker, my dad, so sometimes he doesn't say a lot. Mm-hmm. There was more footage, obviously, of that moment where I did speak to my folks and let them know how I'm feeling and yeah. making the film and what was going on for me and how depressed I was. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad did eventually say something, um, yeah. but it was more, more poignant to kind of leave it out, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the biggest thing that my parents specifically say when they when they saw the footage was like, oh, my God, why did you shoot it from that angle? You can see my, tur- <laughs> you can see my turkey neck and you can see my belly hanging out. What are you doing? I was like, oh. Oh, sorry. To be honest, I didn't think it would make the cut of the film. (laughs) So, yeah, but my parents were supportive of me through taking me to acting class after acting class as a kid Mm -hmm. and financially supporting me as a kid to do all these Mm -hmm. courses and classes. You know, I had a really fortunate, supportive parents for me to pursue my career. And Mm -hmm. some of the things that they did say that didn't gel with me, I understand. I now understand that they were just Mm -hmm. trying to do their best. They didn't know how to Mm -hmm navigate this i mean i didn't know how to navigate it you know and i was living it yeah so parents out there with a creative kid i think just do your best you know just try to support them watch my film yeah (laughs) yeah ben it's so wonderful to have you on to talk about this project which i think we can all agree is such an important thing especially now i mean i think we didn't really touch on this but the extra pressure that people are under with the whole pandemic and how that's changing the performing industry the live performances and just the extra isolation that people might be feeling and things like that so absolutely if anyone out there that's listening is feeling like they need some support then definitely reach out to friends or to a helpline if that's available and you know watch the film and and really i mean 
a huge part of it. And the discovery that you made, I think, if I can be so bold as to say it, is that even though it might feel like you're the only one going down this journey and mm-hmm. that all of these terrible things aren't happening to anyone else, but they're happening to you and that that's very lonely making, that you're not alone and that almost everyone in the industry has at least moments and sometimes a lot more than moments of feeling depressed and feeling isolated and feeling like they don't know what they're doing. And the difference could be just reaching out and telling someone, hey, I'm feeling not very good right now. And so, and just to talk to people. Yeah. And hopefully we'll bring it uh, in person to the Czech Republic and Spain and London as well at some point. We were going to try to get over to London this October. We were dealing with a few mental health charities over there, but obviously COVID had other plans. Yeah. So as we bring this episode to a close, we like to point people to other things that they might want to experience, what to watch or what to listen to or what to read. So Ben, do you have anything that you want people to watch besides the Show Must Go On documentary? Yeah, so actually I'd like to start with rather than something to watch, uh, maybe something to read. Mm-hmm. And this definitely can be accessed uh, for everybody around the world. There is a small cost and don't worry, I don't get any money from it at all. But it's it's a book called Living with a Creative Mind written by Jeff and Julie Crabtree. Julie's a a clinical psychologist in Australia and her husband, Jeff, has worked in the music industry for uh, 30, 40 years. This book helped me so much on my own personal journey and then also just understanding like so many complexities of our beautiful, wonderful, creative mind. Mm -hmm. Every page I was reading it seriously gave me an aha moment about my own creative process and why I am the way I am. So, any creative person in the world, I would definitely get onto their website, livingwithacreativemind.com.au, I believe. And you can buy the book, either hard copy, I'm not sure the price of that, but the digital, I think, is $19.95 Australian dollars. So it's a relatively cheap book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do yourself a favor, grab that book and reread it. I've read it probably about five times now. It's just got so many insights about how we work as creative people and all this, the psychology, things like how as creative people, we have to be so detail focused, like minute, our focus has to be so tight and focused and fine. Yet at the same time, we have to go back to the wide shot and have this incredibly big picture thinking, Mm. whether that's writing a novel or Mm -hmm. plotting a character journey, we have to work in such details. And doing that thing is a great asset, but it also has, you know, certain things that maybe screws with your your psychological and also physical state. Mm -hmm. We have to be incredibly vulnerable and they say skinless to be creative, but yet we also need hard skin like a rhinoceros to deal with all the rejection and the hurt and the pain. Mm -hmm. So that's just like two examples of some of the insights that they give. And obviously they go into much more detail uh, about how Mm -hmm. to navigate them than I am on this podcast. But the book cannot recommend it highly enough. And I can pretty much guarantee it will change your life, if not just for a moment, but probably for a lifetime. That's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Love it. What about you, Andrea? What can you point people to? Sort of in the vein of speaking about mental health, there is a movie, 2006. It's called Away From Her. 
with Julie Christie. It's a really, really beautiful film. It's a Canadian film. She was nominated for an Academy Award for her role. It was written and directed by Sarah Polly, and it's about a couple as the wife is moving into Alzheimer's. And it's this beautiful view of the relationship and how it changes and how they navigate the, the changes in her mind and the decisions that they mm. have to face. And it's really, really lovely. It's very well done. It's intimate. It's very insightful. And uh, I highly recommend it. In particular, if you have somebody in your life dealing with Alzheimer's or family members, it's a really beautiful insight. So I highly recommend Away From Her. The performances are great. And and the storytelling is is important. Awesome. I'll check it out. Yeah. Love it. Brian, what about you? Well, I have been doing palate cleansers with the great British baking show. <laughs> I know it's not yes. very deep, but it's <laughs> just... Hey, that's a little bit of life balance there for you, Brian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just it's so nice to just kind of shut off and be just swept away by the niceness and the kind of camaraderie and the wonderful baking that they're doing and just kind of be like, yeah. They are incredibly sweet and just so supportive of each other, aren't they? Everyone's, like any... Like yeah. The, the, complete opposite of most reality TV shows. Exactly. It's the difference between playing a competitive board game and a cooperative board game. There's still the drama mm -hmm. of completing or not completing the task, but it's not trying to like pull each other down. And so mm -hmm. I really like that. And it's just, you know, I'm, I like watching people um, make wonderful things. So I, <laughs> yummy, tasty treats. Yeah, it helps me uh, sate my own sweet tooth. So I got my daughter to start watching Julie and Julia last night with Meryl Streep playing uh -huh. Julia Child because I just really need to see great food and enjoyment of great food also on the screen yeah. these days. It's very comforting. And also watching Meryl Streep in her uh, finest. She's amazing. She's always yeah, she's, the best. I mean, it's, it's all great. So yeah. that's what I've been watching. Lovely. Yeah. Gary, what do you have that you want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, well, it's originally a book which was made into a documentary more recently. And, you know, a lot of people are probably aware of it, but it is called Easy Riders and Raging Bulls hmm. by Peter Siskind. The book is a real expose of a golden time in filmmaking when the studios were becoming sort of spiritually and creatively bankrupt. And then all of a sudden, all these young bucks and new creatives started to emerge in the late 60s or mid 60s into the 70s. Steven Spielberg, William Friedkind, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Martin Scorsese and all of these countercultural filmmakers who really grabbed hold of Hollywood and made it their own for a while. And I suppose it kind of went hand in hand with the development of youth culture and the counterculture in the States and, and all the rest of it. And that's where there was a market. The reason why I, I've read it before, but the reason why I picked it up again and, and read it again is because filmmaking in this day and age is so difficult to make. And I've been involved in an independent movie recently and it's, it's, it's so difficult to make and it really crushes the spirit. Mm -hmm. Maybe if people read this, book or it's also been made into a documentary which isn't as good because it loses a lot of the detail if people read this uh, uh thinking of making a movie or feel it's too hard maybe they'll be infused with a real sort of rebellious spirit or at least a, a spirit of just doing something and getting it on the screen you come away reading this book going wow yeah you know i want to make a movie <laughs> and i want to yeah. put my, my my personal even if it's a short thing i just want to put my own personal mark on a, on a movie, on one to just do it and just put it up there, however ramshackle it might be. So yeah, yeah, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls by Peter Siskind. Great. Okay. So Ben, how can people 
keep in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you personally. Are you do social media or are you not doing social media these days? Yeah, I'm not that active on social media. On Instagram, I am Ben Steele. So I am Ben, S-T-E-E-L. So feel free to follow me there. The Show Must Go On is also on Instagram, the Show Must Go On documentary. And yeah, on Facebook as well, you can find us. But probably the best place is via the Show Must Go On website. So the showmustgoon.com.au. Great. Andrea, what about you? Where can people get in touch with you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And Gary? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at Gary Condes, or drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you via my contact page on my website, which is garycondes.com. Nice. I am, as always, at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram, and you can look at my Facebook page. We're just about to start a new term of my Meisner acting class, which is still online. So wherever you are in the world, if you want to check it out, you can get in touch with me. That's at acting.cz or CZ if you're in the UK or Australia. And if you want to get in touch with Vagabond Actors or, or follow us, you can do that at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram and on our Facebook page. We love getting questions from you guys. Yes. So from all of us here, we hope you all stay healthy and stay creative. Or not not I guess you could be creative, but just don't let the career and the and the whole rigmarole of of the acting business take over your life. Let's put it that way. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Brian, if I could just say that uh, sometimes discussions about mental health and well-being can kind of bring up uh, emotions for people, and that is completely normal to be feeling a bit sensitive. So just be aware of that, listeners out there, if you're feeling a bit sensitive right now, to definitely reach out to a friend or family and kind of share how you're feeling, or if you need any more support, reach out to local support services in your area. And maybe, Brian, we could all from our respective countries and areas uh, in the show notes, uh, put up support line numbers that might be helpful. Yeah, that would be good. Great idea. Thanks very much, Ben, for your time. My pleasure, Gary. Lovely to connect with you audibly. Good luck with the documentary and good to see that you're coming out the other end and good luck with all your other endeavors. Thanks, buddy. Take care. I love talking to you. Lovely to hear you, Andrea, as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. Congratulations. Take care. See you, folks. Thanks a lot. Bye.